0: John chapter 19. We are in our fifth sermon in our series of the seven sayings of Jesus. And today, the question that I have for you is what ultimately motivates you? What motivates you? Like, like What gets you up out of the bed? What, what is it that really gets things going? Um, researcher Dan Ariely claims in his book predictability, predictably irrational, he says this, that most of us are masters at deceiving ourselves and even justifying our actions. We're we're masters at that. Uh, In particular, we tend to make our decisions based off not what is right, but what we want. Would you say that's true? You make your decisions off of not necessarily what's right, but what we want. He tells in his book uh, a story of his own experience in purchasing a car. He says this, When I, when I turned 30, I decided it was time to trade in my motorcycle for a car. But I could not decide which car was right for me. The web was just taking off. And to my delight, I found a site that provided advice on purchasing cars. He describes how he answered all the questions on the website, which ultimately ended up recommending that he purchases a Ford Taurus. And he described his reaction this way. The problem was that having just surrendered my motorcycle, I couldn't see myself driving a sedate sedan. I was now facing a dilemma. I had tried a deliberative and thoughtful process for my car selection and I didn't like the answer. I get it personally, right? Sedan, Ford, Taurus? He goes on to say, so I did what I think anyone in my position would do. I hit the back button a few times, backtracked to the earliest stages of the interview process, and changed many of my original answers to what I convinced myself were more accurate and appropriate responses. I kept this up until the car advertising website suggested a Mazda Miata. (laughs) The moment the program was, was kind enough to recommend a small convertible, I felt grateful for the fantastic software and decided to follow its advice. Commenting on what he learned in the process, he said this, The experience taught me that sometimes we want our decisions to have a rational veneer when, in fact, they stem from what we crave deep down. For him, it, it was kind of a picture, right, of what really goes on inside of us. And it happened to be a car decision. You know, really, I, I don't want a Ford Taurus. That's like an old man's kind of car. What I really want is a Mazda Miata. So deeply, down deep, when, when stirred up, it's like, no, this is what I really want, what I really need, what I really crave. This is what ultimately motivated him. <laughs> What we see in Jesus' life and his death is what really drove him, what really pushed him, what motivated, motivated him, and what, what, what he craved for in this life, now in his death, what drove him was to fill, fulfill God's word. God had made all these promises all throughout the, the Old Testament. Often a, a section of the Bible that we just go, okay, is this really relevant for me anymore? Man, just give me the New Testament stuff. That's, give me the red letter version because that's really what Jesus said and what really ultimately matters. But Jesus says, no, no, what really matters is all of it. He God made these promises in the, the Old Testament. Some were really large in scope. Some were smaller in, in scope. But Jesus wanted everyone to know they were all coming true in Him. His, his hope for Himself was that God would be faithful to His Word toward Him. Hoping that He would use him to fulfill all that he said he would do so even on the cross in jesus's final word in his his dying moments jesus said something for the express purpose of fulfilling his word his passion was to uphold and to testify the absolute trustworthiness of god jesus wanted us to know that God is trustworthy. Every promise that He makes to us is true. There's not one word or promise from God that will not ultimately lead to its fruition, its faithfulness, its coming about. There's nothing. There's no. Obstacle that can get in his way, whether internal or external. He lacks nothing in his character. There's no, he's not lacking wisdom. He's not lacking knowledge. He's not lacking power. He never makes a promise flippantly, just off the cuff or thoughtlessly. Nothing can thwart God from fulfilling his word and keeping his promise. So this morning, we are going to look at John chapter 19. Starting at verse 28 and go through uh, 28 and 29. So please stand for this short but important reading of God's Word. After this. knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. I don't want to go too far, but 30 is helpful. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word, Lord. You may be seated. So I was talking with some pastors this week, and they said, so what are you preaching on Sunday? And they said, I said, I'm um, going through the seven sayings of Christ, and I'm up to the point where uh, Jesus has offered wine the second time, and, and he says two words. I thirst. And they go, oh, your people are getting out early this week, huh? I said, many probably wish they would. But texts like this are are hard for me sometimes because it's like, okay, I get it. I'm thirsty. Hot Judean sun in the middle of the day. Jesus is thirsty. He's asking for a drink. Let's move on. So why is this important? If all of Scripture is God-breathed and therefore it is profitable for you, it's good to build you up and to equip you. What do we do with small things like this? The reality is, the context is, Jesus has been on, a cross, on the cross for th- at least three hours by this point. He knew that it was, it was coming to an end. It's kind of the, the climaxing kind of point, And he was... He knew he was about to be done with the suffering for sin. And knowing that, he he comes to this point and just saying, I thirst. It feels kind of empty, kind of void of meaning. It's kind of a human reaction, right? I'm thirsty. A lot has been going on. Give Give me a drink of out of the Nalgene, and because my mouth is a little parched at this moment. So somebody takes takes a sponge, they dip it into a jar of soured wine, and and they put it up to his mouth, and at first this seems kind of insignificant, kind of a a pithy statement, kind of insignificant, kind of like this statement, hey, a woman behold your son, son behold your mother, it's like Jesus, how do you preach on that? It seems like Jesus was doing kind of nothing at this point, but nothing is kind of going on here. He was being crucified in the middle of a hot eastern sun and he was thirsty. He just needed something to drink. But it was something more was going on underneath it. The reason that Jesus said, I thirst, was because he was to fulfill Scripture. So we, we know that all of Scripture was being fulfilled in him. There is... This is not the first time that Jesus was given the opportunity to, give, to receive something to drink. At the beginning of the crucifixion, he was offered a drink and he ultimately he refused it. You see that in Mark chapter 15. They brought him to the place that was called Golgotha, which means the place, place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it at that moment. Jesus was often offered wine with myrrh and historically jewish women would kind of mix this concoction and they would offer it to people who were who were dying who were on the cross because it helped numb the pain and yet jesus said no he didn't want to numb the pain or be unconscious he wanted to be there fully alive and aware that he was paying for Our sins in that moment. So, why did he take a drink of sour wine at this moment, at this time, at the end of his crucifixion? The wine that he drank at the end was not the same concoction. It was a cheap, common wine the soldiers and the people would drink. It tasted much like vinegar, it wasn't all that good. He asked for this drink because he wanted ultimately to fulfill Psalm 69. Psalm 69 verse 3 says, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. Then verse 20 says, They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. In Jesus' moment of pain and agony, what was on his mind? What was driving him? On his mind? The Psalms were on his mind. What was driving him? A desire to be faithful, to fulfilling all of God's Word. He was dying for our sins and in his dying for our sins, he was thinking about scripture. He wanted those nearby and he wants us to know that everything that David talked about in the Psalms were actually about him. All of David's suffering was ultimately pointing towards Jesus. Jesus was the one that they were waiting for. He was the king that was coming to restore God's kingdom. He wanted us to trust God at His word. And he continued to add to the reliability and the credibility of God by fulfilling God's word. If Jesus didn't ask to drink of this wine... There probably wouldn't be any reason for you guys to, to say, man, he, he really isn't the Messiah. You, you probably wouldn't say, I would to have believed him, in him. I, would have, I probably would have believed in him, but he didn't fulfill that one little promise in Psalm 69. He missed one. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He picked such a small and such a minor what would probably be something that we kind of glaze over. He picked that one small minor promise to fulfill because He wanted us to know that every single word, every single prophecy, every single thing, even the minor things would come true. Every word of God is true even the ones that we do not think are significant jesus's whole life was spent fulfilling scripture on the sermon on the mount during uh, the beginning of his ministry he, he, jesus speaks about them do not think that i have come to abolish the law or the prophets no I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I came for the explicit purpose of fulfilling the law and the prophet. The word of God motivated him. It drove him. It directed him. It gave him power and it gave him strength. So when Jesus became human like us, he shared in our limitations. He shared in our likeness. He... He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He wasn't a 50-50, 100% God, 100% man. Like every other human, he needed something for both his physical and his spiritual nourishment. He needed drink for his thirst. His his throat was parched. He needed scripture also for his spiritual nourishment. He needed the word of God to access the power in the presence of his father. You see it again and again and again throughout his life. While he was fasting for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry, Satan came and he tempted him in ways that we have all failed. And what did Jesus do? Jesus responded to the temptation by quoting Scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy! Three times! He quoted Scripture. When when He was arguing with the Pharisees, He told them that they knew that they neither knew the scriptures nor did you know the power of god last week in in his greatest moment of agony what was jesus doing when all the wrath of god was being poured out on him what did jesus end up doing he found himself quoting psalm 22 my god my God, why have you forsaken me? So over and over again, the Bible was on the mind and the lips of Jesus. Oh, to have people like that. To have a church filled with men and women and children who not only have it in their mind, but it's also on your lips. Tim Keller Tim Keller said this, when you pricked Jesus... When you stabbed Jesus Christ, he literally bled Scripture. He knew the Scripture so well. He thought about the Scripture so pervasively. It saturated and permeated his whole being and his imagination and his feelings and his will and his knowledge that it shaped him instinctively. He goes on to say, and I love this, the Scripture shaped every part of him. His nobility, His courage, His peace, His faith, all happened because He was saturated with Scripture. If there is anyone who did not need to study His Bible, it would have been Jesus because why? He wrote the book. Yet, we see Him knowing it. We see Him studying and expounding on it if there's anybody who knew what was god who what god was like it would have been god in the flesh it was jesus if there was anybody who knew how not to sin it was our sinless one jesus if there was anyone who knew how to love how to serve other people it was the one who came to die for our sin it was jesus but yet he repeatedly he repeatedly Time and time and time again, he went to the scriptures for strength, purpose, and clarity. That's our God. In every moment of Jesus' life, he was fulfilling, he was trusting, he was obeying the word of God. Jesus was about to cross the finish line. Yet before he was about to finish the the finish line, he wanted us to know that the written word of God is absolutely reliable and you and I can trust it wholeheartedly. He knew the same scripture he was quoting and believing is the same scripture that you and I will desperately need in order to follow him and to go through our own suffering. This book is necessary. And Jesus is communicating with those simple words, I thirst, that friends, you need the Word of God in your moments of suffering because in your moments of suffering, you go to media, you go to the bottle, you go to whatever comforts you. You will go everywhere else but to the place that you need it the most. You need to turn to the Word of God. It, it's in the promises and the word of God that where we find the power of God. The only sure promises of God are the ones that are found in Scripture. Jesus wasn't upholding some general idea of God's faithfulness or fulfilling some desire that Jesus had inside of him. Or some kind of call or vision or mission statement that Jesus personally held, no, he said, I thirst to fulfill scripture, and we often miss out on this power because we don 't even know his promises, and we don 't even know how to apply them properly. Writing that sentence, I, I like triple highlighted it because It personally hurt me. I often miss out on this power because I don't know His promises. And I don't use them properly. Friends, if it's true for me, it's true for you. So in this world that we live in, saturated with information and all sorts of promises and quick fix schemes, we, we ultimately find ourselves neglecting the Bible. Sure, we know it's important, right? And we know that if we read it, we, we will probably be better for it because it'll probably give me some kind of moral directive. Maybe it'll help my marriage. Maybe it'll help my workplace. Maybe it'll help my fill-in-the-blank. Yet we've learned in our lives that we will just be fine without it. How many of us wake up every morning and you open your eyes and go, I need to open up the word of God so that it's in my mind and it's on my lips. How many of us go to sleep, before we hit the sack at night, just saying, I need more of God, His words and His promises, filling our our minds. Instead, what do we do? We we make things like work, family, friends, diet, and entertainment as non-negotiables in our lives, Right? Man, if things are off this week, it's because those things are off this week. Is it true for you? If, if, if my family or if my work is off, man, uh, everything. And it often kind of makes me angry or anxious. We have all kinds of explanations for being off. If, if I was anxious or upset, it's because, man, I've had way too many people in my life this week. I'm a little overwhelmed, and I just need some time off. That's the introverted kind of side of me. For you extroverted people, it's probably the opposite. But for me, you know, that's how it is. If I'm depressed or if I'm lonely, it's because no one has called me and no one has texted me. Nobody has checked in with me. That's the weird thing about us introverts. The very thing that we hate is the thing that we desire. I want you to be near me, just not too many of you. But the reality is that the problem is that we are more often than not starving for the Word of God. You and I are spiritually anemic. We... We're not taking anything in, or very little. We're taking sips here and there, and we can't see the power. We can't see the presence of God. We need to hear from God ourselves, and we need to hear His Word, which is in the Bible. So if you need rest, if you need peace, if you need grace, He speaks it through His Word. Man, sometimes you need to turn off W O N U 89.7 because, oh, I, I've listened to their fundraising. It's like <laughs> Christian radio is not the answer. The Word of God is your answer, Jesus is your answer. He speaks rest into your weary soul he speaks peace into your anxious heart he gives strength to your feeble hands he gives truth to your doubting minds he gives grace and love to sinful people like you and me and all this is done through his word we need his word to saturate and define us like it's saturated and defined jesus And not only does the Word of God give you access and power to His presence, but it also, my friends, it keeps you from error. When you don't know what God has said, and what promises are there, it's easy to believe things that He never promised. God only promised what is in His Word. That's what God has promised. If someone tells you that God has promised you this or that, but it's not in the Bible or it's out of context, don't bank your life on it. Oh, that's a nice word. Thank you. God has given us amazing eternal promises that will take forever to enjoy. delight in to to relish in so don't be deceived into banking on something that god has not promised in his word he may do things that coincide with your desires that coincide with your prayers but he is not obligated to that's not how god works he's not your vending machine gumball machine kind of god i pray i do i and oh look uh this is what i should get That's not how God works. He is obligated to and will fulfill every word and promise spoken in the Bible. That's what God is obligated to. And Jesus just didn't know the word. It was fueling his his faithfulness and fueling his obedience. It shaped him. And it gripped him. And he clung to it in his moment of pain and suffering and near death. God has given us amazing promises so that we would believe Him to be faithful and therefore stay faithful to Him. Jesus tells us what God is like and we can trust Him. He tells us God is going to come through for us. He's going to come through through for us he died for us he loves us and has forgiven us but he wants us to obey by trusting him at his word jesus calls this trust that we have into action it's not a passive trust it's not a passive faith it's an active faith god promises To tell us and remind us that what He's asking of us might be hard. It might be the hardest thing that you have ever done. But He is our Father. He loves us. And He is good. And He forgave us. And He will work everything for our good, ultimately. We might not see it on this side of glory. But on the other side of glory, we can say, yes, And amen, that's amazing how you worked all those things together for my good. Look at where I am. I am in glory with you, and you are good. That's what God's promises are meant to do for us. In those moments when you are crying, when you are scared, when you are angry, there's nothing that makes you think that He could have your good in your mind. In those moments, you can say, where all hell is breaking loose, you can say, I'm going to obey. Some of you feel bad when you obey God, when there's that part of you that I don't want to. You feel bad. Maybe I should change my heart before I try to obey. No. It actually warms God's heart Because you are learning to trust in Him. Obey when it even feels wrong or against your flesh. With with my kids, I don't get angry with them when they're not 100% in with following through, but at least they are making steps towards obedience and trusting and following. I cannot demand of my kids 100% all the time with a good heart and a good attitude. If you have children, you know that's not always the case. Taking steps. When you feel like He's forgotten you or isn't listening or you must be getting punished, the promises of God come in and they declare all those things and those thoughts to be wrong. Jesus purchased every promise for you so that you can know they are sure for you. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all, their pro- all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Some of you might be going through a really difficult season of life. It's in those moments that you have to cling to the promises of God. Because that's when we feel like we don't have much faith left. These are the moments when you know, have to know His promises. Jesus' parting words to His disciples are are even a good reminder in in Matthew chapter 28. Teach them to observe, or the NIV says obey. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. How much? All. (laughs) And behold, here's the good news. Following that statement, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And and as we obey all that he has commanded, we need to remind ourselves that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for our good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Your suffering is never going to be wasted. It, it, your, your suffering isn't pointless. God promises that He will be faithful to you even in the midst of your suffering. Even in the midst of your pain. Even in the midst of your dying. God promises that He will be faithful to you. We need to trust His promises, not just in those large moments, but we also need to trust Him in those small moments. When you don't want to read your Bible, when you don't want to pray, when you don't want to love your neighbor, when you don't want to love your spouse, when you don't want to love your kids, when you don't want to forgive, when you feel, I am, I should be angry. We are too easily deceived into thinking that if We don't want to do it. We shouldn't have to do it. His promises are here to say, even if everything in me thinks he is wrong, I'm actually the wrong one. His promises say so. There is joy and there is peace and there is love when we obey even when we don't want to. God says that at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if we abide in His Word, He will lead us into joy, into pleasures. So the only way to stay faithful and not to be deceived by sin is to actually go to His promises. You have to go to Him even though you don't want to. Trusting in Him to come through for you. So in this life, while there's sin in this world, we have seasons and we have circumstance and we have hearts that that make it feel like everything He said is wrong. And in those moments, we need to remember why God gave you His Word. He gave it to us so that you would stay faithful. The, The great news for us, friends, is that as people who are often faithless, is that the promise of God does not depend on our faithlessness or our faithfulness, but it depends on Jesus and His faithfulness. He purchased those promises for you. They will happen for you We get to enjoy them when we trust them. 2 Peter 3 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you feel like it's taking God forever, it sound like my kids, forever to come through for you, know that God is not being slow. This is part of His plan. Stay faithful. Peter goes on to say, Therefore, beloved, Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. If you're anything like me, you get tired. I know you're tired. It's it's a lot of work. When things wear you down, and ultimately, a morning or evening time in the Word or men's study or women's study or best friends hanging out together, opening up the Word together just feels futile at times. It just feels like a routine. You need to be home. I've, I've worked a long day. I, I, I've done this. I, I've got a thousand things going on. The one thing that we often find ourselves cutting out is the thing that we need the most. My encouragement is to be faithful. Peter goes on to say, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be both the glory now and to the day of eternity. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, as as we meet together again in missional communities, this is something that we should be encouraging one another. Hebrews says to, man, do not give up the meeting together. That's really important. The meeting together, the gathering together. Do not give up uh, hearing the Word of God being preached for it is for your good. But also, we need to find ourselves encouraging each other how are you growing in grace and how are you growing in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ and how can i come alongside you friend to grow in grace and to grow in knowledge how can i do that how can we do that as a missional community how can we do that as ministries how can we do that as church maybe one of the first things that we should ask is hey how have you this week grown in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? How have you done Tell me. I, I can't wait to hear. Because I, I want to try what you're doing. Oh, you found a website. You found an email. You're in a great chapter. You're reading a book. Oh, tell me more about this. I want to grow also in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, be faithful. Grow. Long for. Even when it feels unnatural, continue to grow. Because when you see Jesus face to face that one day, you will see that every promise that he has made will come true. And I can't wait for that going you got to be kidding. You did that there, too? You did that there, too? Oh, my goodness. I didn't see that one. Or like, I knew it. I knew it. What about that one, too? I knew you would come true on that one. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I saw it. I was longing for it. Oh, to be people like that.